Thank you for tuning in to another episode of One More Story. Just a quick programming note, there is a loud bleep a few minutes into the interview. We had some wine, we had some fun, and a bleep and some editing was necessary to keep it clean. But it is an awesome interview. Liz has had such a unique career path. And if you are in a fantasy football league, you will definitely want to check it out. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's episode. My guest tonight is Liz Loza, a fantasy and sports betting analyst at ESPN who appears on Fantasy Football Now, Fantasy Focus Football, and The Daily Wager. Before that, she was at Yahoo Sports, and before that, you might have caught her on The Bold and the Beautiful, or 24. <laughs> we also <laughs> we, we also <laughs> did, did a play together many years ago. <laughs> Liz. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Back when we were youngry. We were. We we had we had hopes and dreams. Yeah, now we just have diet wine. What so what Great. are what are you drinking this evening? <laughs> I am isn't this like a show for kids? Do they really care about the mommy juice that I'm imbibing at the moment? The interviews for the parents, and I just am playing around with a subscription tier where it's just the stories. So parents can just put on the stories and so they don't have to worry about the adults saying dumb things during the interview so i'm trying to figure that out so we can talk about mommy wine because i'd like to know what is mommy wine well it's mommy juice mommy juice because anything that mommies can imbibe to help <laughs> numb the pain of mommyhood is <laughs> it's worthwhile this is a lovely pinot grigio <laughs> Okay. Sourced likely <laughs> from the suburbs of wherever Grigio is. All right. It's like the Van Nuys of wine, right? Like if you live in the valley, it's like if Pinot Grigio is like the Beverly Hills, you yeah, then you're driving out to like Upland to get uh, the grapes uh-huh. for this. But it's called Fit Vine, and it's a reduced calorie, reduced sugar wine, which is supposed to also get you less relaxed, but still trick your brain into thinking you're having a gorgeous glass of Santa Margarita for Pinot Grigio. Gotcha. Um, but there's fewer calories and uh, it packs a, a lesser punch. And I put one, I put ice in it because <laughs> I am so basic <laughs> that that's also I end up drinking a whole bottle every night instead of just a glass. So but, I don't know. It's all a wash. Wait, why would you, why would you want to be less relaxed when you're drinking wine? Do you, do you mean less? It's not drunk? the relaxation part. Yeah. The inebriation. Bingo. Ah. Sure. And the ah. like having to get up in the morning when I have like two kids pretending like they're Dave Osborne, like Super Dave Osborne, like <laughs> shooting down the hallway to wake me up at 630 in the morning and make them a toaster waffle. So welcome to it. <laughs> so I've been trying to get you on the on the podcast from the beginning because I am absolutely fascinated with your career path because it's one of the most unique career paths. I mean, so you started as an actor mm-hmm. and you were on Bold and the Beautiful. I didn't know that until I looked that up. IMDb'd me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. Uh-huh. And 24, which I was a big, big fan. I'm, I don't know how I missed you on that, but. She recurred on 24. You recurred? There was an arc. You had an arc? Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Tell me about your arc. Uh, it was two or three episodes. I don't recall at this point, but I was the emergency room nurse that informed Kiefer Sutherland, Jack Bauer, yeah. that his long-term love had been killed Ooh. and was like trying to like save her in season eight, the final season. And you were on Scandal. What did you What did you play on Scandal? I was a White House reporter. Okay. I had seen with Carrie Washington, nice. who was the loveliest human. Also, I have a, like a hilarious Carrie Washington story because it was, I was in uh, season two. So the show was like mounting because it was, you know, from the creator of Grey's Anatomy, but it hadn't yet become a runaway hit when we recorded. By the time the show the episode aired, it was a bona fide hit in its second season. But there was this moment that I was going to get my makeup done in the trailer. And you know, one of the tropes that they tell guest actors is like, do not look at the series lead in the eye. (laughs) Some of them get weirded out by it. Like you can't look into their soul because it's vacant. And so I was making a point to not look in Carrie Washington's eyes. That was the instruction. And she kept like this woman just kept like kind of trying to look at me and look at me. And I was like, oh, God, oh, no, I'm failing. I'm not doing this well enough. And then finally, she like put her hands down, craned her neck. She's like, hi, I'm Carrie. Who are you? And I was just like, oh, I'm so, I'm like reporter number seven, you know, like or whatever. I don't I think I had a name, but whatever. I was like, oh, I'm a reporter. And she was like, it's so great. Welcome. Everyone is really lovely. Like your makeup artist is one of my favorites. She was so welcoming. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, like. She is Carrie Washington, the lead of this series. And then we shot in Pasadena near the Huntington Gardens. And it was September. And you know, in LA, like September is still 100 degrees. And you're like, why is it so hot? But it was supposed to be set in DC in the winter. So all of the extras and the entire cast is wearing, including the guest cast, is wearing like these long wool pea coats. And we're all just like, dying like everybody's sweating the extras are like starting to pass out and everything it's a it's a mess and at the end of the shoot carrie washington went to every single extra and thanked them for their grit and their perseverance and looked everyone in the eyes and like personally thanked every extra that was like on the green in the group scene she was amazing so how do you go from your work in you're doing some co-stars, some guest stars, and then all yeah. of a sudden you're working for Yahoo Sports as a fantasy analyst. How did that happen? I mean, it was a weird trajectory. I will say I've always loved sports. My mom was a single mom, and so my grandfather, who we lived with, was kind of like my, from a domestic point of view, primary caregiver. So I was not, and I'm from Chicago, which is like a sports city right? So like everybody in the Midwest loves sports. We all know sports. This weird like women don't do sports thing just didn't exist in the ecosphere that I was growing up in. In fact- South side or north side? Cubs or Sox? Well, I'm Cubs. And in fact, um, because my grandfather was in charge of things like Halloween costumes and ballet recital outfits and stuff like that, when I was in third grade and all the other little girls were princesses, I was Ryan Sandberg, who was the second baseman, obviously, for the Chicago Cubs. And Asterix, my son, who is very active in Little League, still wears number 23 as an homage to that, to Ryan Sandberg and to my youth. So I grew up learning, like knowing sports. It was not a weird thing. And there was a point that I was in a fantasy football league and I had won the championship. 
and I was the only woman in it. And then I had won the championship a second year in a row. And then I was like this, I was watching Fantasy Football Live, which is the Yahoo Sports pregame 90-minute uh, show. And I looked at my then boyfriend, now husband, and said, like, I don't understand if the NFL viewing audience is like 46%, why are there just a bunch of like balding white dudes doing this stuff? And he, off, you know my husband, mm -hmm. so he like offhandedly said, I don't know, why don't you start a blog? And so I was like, okay, why not? Why don't I start a blog? So I had started a blog in tandem with the time in which I was acting. And then I had in the acting world booked a pilot. I don't know if you know this. I had booked a pilot. thought all of the dreams were coming true, right? Like all the carbs I never ate, <laughs> all of the stupid casting director workshops I paid money for. Oh, man. All of the like Ann Taylor loft business suits I dragged to commercial auditions. Like all of it was finally worth it. It was a multicam for ABC. It was the best, one of the top five career moments of my life still to this day. We were, we shot it. We had some big names. Judith Light was in it. Tom Arnold was in it. Jesse Bradford was one of the leads. Rachel Harris. And it was absolute magic. But that magic did not translate to the tape. Oh. And we didn't get picked up. And I think that was the moment that I was like, I don't, I can't do this forever. Like I cannot consistently give everything in my soul Right. For it felt like I didn't I never rushed a sorority or and I wasn't active in like the Greek community when I was in college, but it felt like rushing a sorority or trying to be a member of a club that was just like, nah, you're not good enough. And so I had on the side just as a way to like quench some creative thirst made this blog. And because I knew so much about the content business, of course, we didn't call it content back then in 2009 when I started it, but I had like put myself on a content schedule because I understood entertainment. And I had a bunch of friends who were out of work creatives who would give me their leftover lighting and cameras and, and make websites for me and create logos because that's the beautiful thing about out of work creatives is that we have a million skills that go unmonetized, but yeah. are good for barter, you know? I mean, we're on a podcast, <laughs> like this is all, this is like what, so I had like put myself on a content schedule for this blog. And when the heartbreak of the pilot not getting picked up kind of happened, I just decided to put all of my effort into growing the sports space and it snowballed. And I said yes to everybody's everything, every podcast, every serious XM appearance, every free article anything and i genuinely enjoyed it and was becoming quite good at it and the the space was only growing and not yet saturated and i'd gotten a job at a company called scout which i think has been bought and sold a bunch of times and might be owned by cbs now i'm not sure and that was like my first legitimate job in the fantasy space and they paid me like very little money to work a whole lot but that gave me some credence and then Yahoo saw my work and poached me basically. And I stayed with them for seven years. And now I've been with ESPN for over a year. That's amazing. And you've, you've been very helpful and insightful. I took one of your sleeper recommendations for the playoffs a couple of years ago. It was a tight end for the Rams, second or third stringer who, because like, there were some injuries or something. And I put them in based on your recommendation like a $3 Yahoo contest. 
and I ended up coming in first and winning like 500 bucks on a amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So, so Love to hear you. that. Yeah, no. You're it's, welcome. It's fun. And now my son has been bitten by the bug and he helps me set lineups. And he actually picked out some words for tonight. Well, I also remember your son. Your son is also like a genuine football fan because when oh, I did huge. that show with Austin, yes, I had yes. Austin make him a video. Oh my God, that meant the world to... I mean, he's a huge Austin Eckler fan. He's obsessed. So he would like to know if he is in a 14-player league, first round, if he's got the seven spot, who would be a mm -hmm. good pick? At that seven spot, I think Bijan Robinson is probably still in play. All right. He was just talking about Bijan Robinson, so that's good to know. But then if you go Bijan, you got to chill on RB because the dead zone has moved. Dead zone, for those of you who don't know, is uh, usually traditionally rounds three through six for running backs. But because of scoring format changes and the prioritization of wide receivers as a result – running backs like Najee Harris and high volume running backs like Najee Harris, Miles Sanders, James Conner, like they're all like slipping Joe Mixon into the third round. So the dead zone is very much alive. So you don't need to go running back first, but a generational talent like Bijan Robinson is someone at that point of the draft that if you hit on, then like just chill and load up on like, maybe you can get Garrett Wilson on the turn. If you're him, like there's a, possibility that Garrett Wilson will fall to him. Chris Olave, T. Higgins should be there. And I would just hit wide receiver, wide receiver, maybe wait a little bit on quarterback and try to aim for Lamar Jackson. If you really want to, I think there's great value with Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields and Justin Herbert are all presenting pretty good value. If you really want to wait on the position, Trevor Lawrence is going in like the sixth. So what are your big sleepers and who are your big busts uh my busts are this one is not pop the both of these are not pop popular people get very triggered but i think george kittle is not a top five tight end this year he had 11 touchdowns last year despite having the lowest catch rate of his career since like 2018 or 2017 the volume in San Francisco is just not sustainable because Christian McCaffrey obviously is the engine, right? Then you've got Debo. Then you've got Brandon Ayuk, who's out of who's coming off of a career season and out of Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. So you're not seeing the same amount of volume for Kittle, but he got really lucky in the red area. So he got these see, a, a career high eleven touchdowns, and we all know that like you'll like this as like a Gen Xer slash elder millennial. Like you don't chase like touchdowns are like waterfalls. You don't go chasing those. That's not sustainable. <laughs> So, um, stick George to the Kittle, rivers and the lakes that you're used lakes to. Lakes that you're used to, right? Or wait and maybe get yourself a Chig Oconquo or even a Dalton Kincaid super late. If you want to like spend above around six on a tight end, like Darren Waller, if he can stay healthy, TJ Hawkinson should be pretty reliable at an unreliable position. So, I think Kittle's a bust given his ADP. Um, also, totally out, and this is not because I'm a Bears fan. I am totally out on Christian Watson. Like okay. he's a highlight machine. Seven touchdowns is what he managed last year, but he managed those seven touchdowns in like a four game span. That is fluky, particularly like Allen Robinson's no longer the number one. That means defenses are going to key in on Christian Watson. I don't think he has the separation skills to like really beat that coverage. And he's got Jordan Love throwing in the ball. So like I would rather have DJ Moore, Drake London, 
for the same price. So those are two big busts. Sleepers, I love Jahan Dotson for the Commanders. Yeah, I think commanders. Sam Howell. Yeah, there you I like I think Sam Howell, I can't believe that like he actually fell to the fifth round. There was a gutty preseason performance that he had uh just a couple days ago. Um Jahan Dotson though has like some of the best hands in the entire league. And I think he's going to benefit from softer coverage opposite Terry McLaurin. And like as much, you know, I'm married to a commander's fan as well. Like this is probably what, like a five win team. That means there's probably going to be a lot of volume because the team's going to be playing catch up quite a bit. So the target chair should be there for hot Dotson and he's got the skill to convert. Oh, and my breakout player at running back is James Cook, who's Dalvin Cook's little brother in Buffalo. I really, really like him. He's a great zero RB or anchor RB target. I think he's going... Uh, probably the fifth ish round, but like if I took Bijan in the first, I might wait until and like end up with either Miles Sanders or James Cook. But Cook is like on a top three offense and he's an incredible pass catcher. And outside of Stefan Diggs, like, am I really that impressed with the rest of the receiving core? No. I mean, the Bills have been like fifth in pass rate for back to back seasons. So his ability as a pass catcher and like, he's not just like a dump off pass. He's not just like a, like a security blanket pass catcher. He's like a route runner who can work as a receiver out of the slot. That ability, I think in PPR friendly formats is going to be massive. All right. That's good to know. There you go. All that free advice. You didn't even have to click on an article. So I mean, you're you're working year round, but like, when do things really heat up for you? End of July, like after the Fourth of July holiday, that's when things start to ramp up. But ESPN annually puts on a fantasy football marathon, which I was in Bristol for last week. It was on Monday and Tuesday, and it's like 27 solid hours of fantasy content. But we, the fantasy team on ESPN One, not ESPN Two, do four hours on Monday night and then three hours on Tuesday night. So now it feels like like that's the ramp up for something like that. Now we're now we're just like extending it through signups. Before I forget, Liz, when can we see you on ESPN on Sunday mornings? You can see me beginning on the first Sunday of NFL action, which is Sunday, September 10th. Fantasy Football Now is the show on ESPN1, ESPN2. Sometimes we're on ESPN News. It honestly depends on the F1 races because that's our lead-in for the show. But also you can check out the podcast, Fantasy Focus. Um, If I am on campus in Bristol, I'll be on the whole week. Otherwise, it's a little bit different. And I do and will be doing a hit every Tuesday evening on the LA-based Sports Center, which is shot out of downtown Los Angeles at the ESPN Center near the Crypto.com arena. And lastly, I have a new solo article that is debuting this week. I'm very excited about it because it's the first column, regular column of my career that is like open-ended, like not a sleepers column or a trade advice column, but just a like regular, creative, speaking to all of the different audience groups column. And it's called Facts Versus Feelings, which I think is something that everyone, not even people in the fantasy space, are contending with. So with everything you're doing, how do you balance the work, the life, and how do you wind it down at night? And how do you get your kids down at night? 
Like what's your routine? I mean, I should not be a model for how this is done. No, and, and neither um, should I. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like the kids, my husband like starts to yell at them until they go into the shower and wash their bodies. <laughs> We are definitely a family that requires a shower every night. Like they have to bathe. I, I've never skipped bath I, because I need the space where they are not on top of me and they need the ritual of cleansing themselves in order to get into a sleep ready mind right. state. And then it is just like, I can't believe I've been doing this for a decade and I'm still saying like this is isn't bedtime though it's the worst for everybody across the board and I like love the snuggles one of the sweetest things we do the probably the only thing I love like love not just like oh that's nice but like actually look forward to is that we do gratitudes every night and everybody has to give three gratitudes for that particular day. So three things that you are you are thankful for for that particular day. Not just like I'm grateful that I live in a house and it's raining, <laughs> but like I'm grateful that today I had the opportunity to present my book report or whatever and that I won kickball and that. So like I think for me having children that are mindful and reminding myself to be mindful of the small things and the large things on a daily basis is a really healthy practice to get into and kind of also just sets a table for a peaceful transition to the next day. Do you do bedtime stories or do they read? Or? We read. Well, Pax reads because he can. And Lenny we gets read too because she's not yet independently reading. Very cool. Well... Liz Loza, are you ready for your first story? I'm excited for my first story. Fantastic. So the word is first round. Once upon a time, there was a young high school player named Ronnie Barbary. And Ronnie Barbary grew up in a small town in West Texas. And I don't know if you know, but West Texas is quite famous for football. And his lifelong dream was to be drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in the first round. The thing about Ronnie, though, was he wasn't your typical kid. He wasn't typical athlete he had a magnet in his knee in his kneecap and what had happened was he had had a knee injury as a young boy and his parents sent him off to a doctor out of state that had been recommended to his parents but that doctor wasn't very good and the doctor was just supposed to fix the kneecap possibly put a metal plate in it but that doctor was all out of metal plates and all he had were some kitchen magnets that were just laying around the doctor's office the nurses and the staff would always you know post cute pictures of their families on the refrigerator in the in the common space in the in the lunchroom and everything and so there were always magnets 
everywhere. So he found like a he found like a Hello Kitty magnet on the refrigerator because you know times were were lean at this particular doctor's office. He was out of network, and if you know sometimes it's it's hit or miss. It's you know you're you're rolling the dice, right? So he just he worked with what he had. You know there were times when you know folks came in and and they needed a cast and. If he didn't have a cast, he would just take, you know, an old muffler from from the junkyard, and he would fashion a splint out of an old muffler, and he would he would melt the the metal together and and solder it and make it real sturdy. Though he would make it real real sturdy, he would send his patients on their way, and uh, you know he would put some padding you know in this inside of the the muffler you know because that can be kind of abrasive if a person puts a, just a muffler on their leg i don't know if you've ever put a muffler on your leg but it could chafe it could cut the skin so he would uh he didn't have anything medically sanctioned in his office so he would often use leftover rug clippings because they were soft and he would just put kind of a lining inside the muffler and he would he would put that cast on. But anyway, I'm digressing a bit and going off track. When young Ronnie came to see Dr. Clover, that was his name, Dr. Clover, Francis Clover, Dr. Clover said, well, son, I know you are a young aspiring football player. You've got a lot of athletic talent and you need this kneecap fixed up, but it's all busted up. So I don't have what we would traditionally put in your knee, which would be some sort of medically sanctioned metal piece. So we're going to use this magnet from the back of the Hello Kitty magnet that Jackie, my nurse, had uh, fixed up her family portrait on the refrigerator in the break room. And uh, I got her a new one. It's, it's, all, it's all good. So we're going to put this metal magnet, we're going to put this magnet, and that's going to replace your kneecap. So Dr. Clover did the surgery, put in that magnetic kneecap, and sent Ronnie on his way, ready for August tryouts for the high school football team. So Ronnie, with this Hello Kitty magnet in his knee, was understandably nervous for these tryouts, right? Not just because they were tryouts for the varsity football team in West Texas, but also because this hillbilly orthopod had admitted to him that he was going to have subpar parts, loose magnets of a Hello Kitty variety, by the way. Not even like Stretch Armstrong or like Spider-Man, but like Hello Kitty. I didn't even know there was a Hello Kitty, a Sanrio, if you were, if you will, outlet in the state of Texas. So Jackie had like gotten this particular Hello Kitty magnet from like her family who lived in Minnesota near the Mall of America where there's a wide variety of kitsch magnets available because I don't think they mess with Hello Kitty in West Texas. But again, that's beside the point. So all of these thoughts, which are many are running through poor Ronnie's brain. And all Ronnie wants to do is like run a go route, you know? Cause he didn't really want to be a quarterback. Cause that's kind of that's kind of basic, right? Like Ronnie, when you have a name like Ronnie Barbary, you think, ah, 
that's a great that's a great quarterback name but also a quarterback in west texas it's a lot of pressure and if his family didn't have the money to send him to an md who could put a properly medically sanctioned piece in his knee they certainly weren't going to send him to a therapist to deal with all of the mental pressure of being a Jason Street-like quarterback in this Friday Night Lights town. So he was like, all right, what can I be that's exciting, but also not too much of a stretch? And he was like, I know, I'll be a slot receiver. And so he was stretching out his knee, thinking about all of the short to intermediate targets that he was hoping to soak up. And his knee started to pull funny. And he realized that it was like pulling him towards the whiteboard that the coaches were using in the sidelines. And he was like, oh no, oh my God, like my knee is magnetic. And now I can't control it because the forces of gravity or whatever they're called, because he went to school in West Texas, it's public school, we know what the funding is like. Are, I, I just can't, I can't do it. And then this kid, this Ronnie Barbary, he was like, I gotta get creative. What are the best slot receivers? What are the best athletes? What are the best performers of any craft? They're creative. And so he just figured out how to juke better than any other slot receiver on the field. And wouldn't you know it, as he is out there warming up, running routes, now he's in drills, now he's in the tryouts, and they are asking him to like run the three cone, go ahead and run routes, catch passes from the quarterbacks who are trying out. And they're all named like Biff and Bart and Tex and Walker. And he's catching all of them. And he's also starting to like catch other stuff to his knee. Like there are items that are now like, <laughs> like attaching to his knee. And yet his thigh muscle is growing with strength at every rep because it's compensating for the amount of weight that is now on his knee. But mentally, he is working through this physical pain and instead building the most Channing Tatum-like quads that any teenager in West Texas could ever imagine. But the problem was his quads got so big. Well, one of them in particular, the one with the Hello Kitty magnet in it, he couldn't ever find the right pants to wear, right? Because his quads were two different sizes. The one leg with the magnet in it, that was obviously the bigger quad. The other leg, it got bigger because it needed to keep up with the magnet leg, but it did not keep the same pace because it was not carrying the same weight. And the leg with the magnet in it was his right leg and because it was heavier he could only make right turns he could only do in routes if he was lined up on the left he could only do slants from the left because he could only go right because that leg just kept dragging him and the defenses caught on to this so they were covering everything they were they were jumping past routes they they knew his game like it, it worked for a little bit and he was a big sensation for a couple games and he had them all fooled but they caught on pretty quickly and he just wasn't playing as well so he went to his trainer and he said trainer Dave because that was his name trainer Dave he said trainer Dave 
what's going on? I I don't know how to fix this. I'm they're jumping all my routes. They know exactly when I'm gonna zig, when I'm gonna zag. He's like, well, let me look at your your quads. And so he did, and he said, well, that one, the right one, is very Channing Tatum-like, and the left one is uh, is very Zach Braff-like, and you can't have a Channing Tatum quad and a Zach Braff quad on the same body. It makes things all out of whack. We got to get you symmetrically in the Channing Tatum category. And he said, well, is that going to solve my problems? He's like, yeah, I mean, you do have a Hello Kitty magnet in your knee, so it's not going to solve all your problems, but I think this will help you on the field. So they worked real hard to get that left leg in shape. They did. He started playing better. They started mixing up the routes a little bit, confusing the defenses. And eventually, the team got to the playoffs. They won state. And in the process, Ronnie realized that the pants that he was supposed to wear, his uniform, was not meant for people who were not... They were ableist, in fact. I mean, what what if you have this sort of incongruence in your physical form? Like, how are you... So, because what he had to do, obviously, was his his parents had to buy him two different sized pants and sew them together because he wore a larger size on the Hello Kitty magnet knee side than he did on the other side. And while trainer Dave helped him, I mean, this kid never missed leg day. He had to, absolutely. He had to make sure that the squats were deep and regular and without exception. But it kind of created inspiration in an unexpected way because he was like, well, I don't, my, my parents are like sitting here spending all of this money at like Hanes putting these pants together and my mom is like, her eyesight is failing because she's trying to make the stitches all uniform because everyone's uniforms have to match. Everything has to look the same. There are very strict rules. Uniform policies are very by the book in West Texas and so they're spending all of this money on Lycra. Like, how much can Lycra be? And so the family was like, well, what about people who aren't fully symmetrical? Is anyone actually symmetrical? I hear that that's a myth. I don't know. And so they came up with a whole line of clothing, not just for young athletes, but for people who enjoy anything, just like wearing clothes so you don't get arrested in public. And... um he decided to call it Skies Out, Thighs Out, and it created a giant empire. And he lived happily ever after. The end. Liz Loza, are you ready for your solo story? I think so. The word is... Well, it's two words. Hook and ladder. You know, hook and ladder is generally believed to be a sports term, but there is a very unique group of firefighters who have reclaimed the phrase hook and ladder for their own purposes. And 
Let's be honest, if we're talking about heroes, while athletes certainly get that billing because of the enormous amount of money that they make and the influence that they have via a giant platform and the celebrities that they hang out with, if we're really talking about heroes, there are no bigger heroes than firefighters. I mean, these are men and women who risk their lives to not just like, oh, I'm going to save somebody, but to like put out one of the four wonders of the world and also like breathe smoke like a dragon, which is pretty impressive. So there was this group of firefighters and they existed in Montana. Montana if you don't know, has a lot of brush fire potential. There's not a lot of population, but there's a lot of land. And once that land catches fire, the whole thing can go up in smoke. And these firefighters were all retired college athletes who had giant aspirations to play at a pro level in their various disciplines. But some of them just weren't good enough. Some weren't tall enough. Some of them had physical maladies that they had gotten over the course of their college careers. And so they had all sort of met online in these chat groups. It was like Reddit, but without the hate. And they had all kind of talked about how, you know, they were really like upset about the fact that they couldn't pursue this dream, which is massive. I mean, think about since you're a little kid focusing on just one thing and being told by all of the adults around you that it is your destiny and you are to step into it and work hard for it and be disciplined for it and then something arises whether it's i don't know your feet are too big your arms are too long or you bust up your ankle and just can't run as quickly And so the adrenaline from that competitive spirit needs to go someplace and where better to put it than like in a burning building with like cats and children. I mean, with cats and children, who doesn't want to save kittens and babies? Like that's a full dopamine rush, saving the most vulnerable among us. And so they were all talking in these various chat rooms about how they could turn their misfortune into a positive while also helping people along the way and they decided to all meet in Montana because of the well I mean because like there's horses and just like cool masculine stuff there like who doesn't want to ride horses and like wear chaps and cowboy hats cowgirl hats like all of it is just very who doesn't want a horse Everybody everybody wants to horse. Everybody wants to gallop. Everybody wants to canter. We all want a horse. And if we can horse in big sky, it's called big sky country. The sky is like the biggest thing ever. And this place has it bigger than anybody else. And so they were like, we're going we're gonna to meet in big sky. And we're going to meet in Montana. And then we're going to get together and we're going to make a plan for this hook and ladder firefighter squad battalion even i don't even know what battalion means they didn't either but they knew that it was a word that firefighters used to convey community unity and just like winningness just savingness and so they did meet it was actually where they met was kind of near where kanye lives but they only knew that because kanye's compound 
has music coming from it all the time and otherwise everything in Montana is very quiet so they like drove past you know you've drove you've driven past right like that one house in the neighborhood that just has like like constant thumping music and you're like who lives there why do they think they're so important that they can listen to music loud well it's Kanye's house so like he just does what he wants because He's got the capital. So anyway, they knew it was near Kanye's house, so they knew that it was obviously like a well-sought-after, highly prestigious area, and they all met at this cabin. And so the pleasantries at first, it was a little awkward, right? Because they're all like going around like, what what did you play? What sport was yours? What was your, like, well, how did you fail at your childhood dream? Let's talk through it. Let's, you know make let's work through these feelings and then once they kind of got to know each other there was one guy named stan he was kind of the ringleader and stan was just like all right like let's all stand up say hi my name is i played x and i would like to be y right and so stan went first stan was a fencer he was a little bit different than the rest of the of the crew most of them were like baseball players, football players, but but Stan was a fencer because he had learned what well, his parents had learned that fencing and male, male cheerleading offered the highest college scholarships for young boys. And so he was like, well, I, I want to go to Stanford. I'm also baseball at Stanford, football at St- Stanford, but like fencing at Stanford. If I can go to Stanford and be an athlete at Stanford and it be free on guard, friends, let's go. And so he stood up and said, I'm Stan. I was a fencer until I took a mighty blow in the collarbone. And he just like went right, you know, like that little divot in your collarbone. Somebody missed and his rapier went right into that soft, tender muscle. And so Stan, as a result of that, had one shoulder that was like a little closer to his ear than the other one. It was like he was constantly tense, except lopsidedly so. But he was still really strong. He was really, really smart. And he had strategic ability, like a fencer would, right? Like he could survey an area and know exactly where he needed to focus in order to win a match, which is key if you're a firefighter. Because if you're a firefighter, you need to look at everything and be like, you don't just run into a blaze head first. You think like, no, if this floor falls, I can't be standing under it. In fact, I need to go through the kitchen up to the living room, around the spiral staircase into the kids' room and down, you know, the back hallway in order to save the kittens that are in the mudroom. He had brain for that because of fencing. So he got up and he announced himself and decided to tell everyone and share with everyone what his special skill was. And that really made, it broke the ice, right? Like everybody was like, okay, like we've done the chat room thing. We've gotten to Montana. We passed Kanye's house. Now we can all share our stories and our futures together. So this woman named Marsha stood up and Marsha was an equestrian, which I mean, let's be honest. She was the one who was like really pushing hard for Montana because equestrian. She knew how to horse super well. And so she stood up and she was telling her equestrian story. And it was like, it's pretty on, it was basic, to be honest. Like she got thrown from the horse and heard her, you know, C3 or C4. And so her back was kind of wonky. There was nothing really special about her story other than the fact that she horsed 
and they were in Montana and none of these other athletes had equestrian ability but because of that she had an incredible ability to coax animals who were afraid she could speak to the animals that meant that she was excellent with the fire dogs they would come to her immediately they'd follow her every command she would train them to be the most obedient and also in high pressure situations when you're going to to save the kittens that are in the mud room she her energy even underneath all of that gear right like they couldn't see that she was this petite woman who rode horses regularly but they would sense they would smell her animal friendly pheromones and she would coax them out of the corners that they were shivering in and be able to then you know shove them into her giant uniform pants and her coat and stuff and or or frankly cuz i mean like how much does like a dachshund weigh like 11 pounds like did that's fine she could like toss that at one of her colleagues and he would be able to rush out and save the animal so like this animal husbandry thing that she had going on as a result of her experience as a equestrian or slash horser was particularly useful but those two were like the main inspo for the whole group but my favorite and nobody really knows about this guy he's always he's like flown under the radar for quite a bit he stood up and he was a track athlete and so you're like okay you ran track that must mean that you are really really fast and so that you can run into a burning building and run right back out like the flash but nah he had incredible lung capacity so like smoke was not a thing for this guy he had so much oxygen regulation in his chest that he would like one two three take a giant gulp of air suck it in and he could hold his breath and not inhale the noxious fumes the smoke the thickness that was billowing from various parts of the building but basically i mean he was like basically aquaman but in a fire cuz he was holding his breath so much and that guy didn't really talk a whole lot and he didn't need to cuz he just stood up and said like yo i'm roy and i can hold my breath for 7 minutes and that's impossible but not for roy because roy was this incredible cross country runner but he had really short legs and so he had to work double time which is why the endurance of his chest was all the better he was never ever going to like be the fastest or go the furthest cuz he was like i don't know like 5 6 but because he trained his lungs to hold his breath for so long he could go into a building save like four whole humans run out and finally exhale and so between these three roy and marsha and stan the strategy the animal coaxing and the breath holding they were like a dream team of firefighting experts dubbed the hook and ladder crew saving lives one at a time the end <laughs>